I want to welcome you to Valley Point Church. It is good to see everyone in the room, and I also want to welcome everyone watching online. It is just good to sing about the faithfulness of God and to know that we are truly still in his hands. That's great news for all of us. I want to encourage you at this time to take out your connection card. You can find that in the seat back pocket in front of you. You can also find it on our church app. If you would simply fill that out and let us know that you are here engaging and responding to the greatness of God with us, that would be great. There are different ways you can engage, check off the things that are appropriate to you. And of course, you can leave a prayer request for us. Please know that we will join you in praying for these things. At the end of our gathering, you'll be able to take your connection card and any offering you have to share and place that in the baskets as you leave. Again, thank you for being here today. Some questions for us as we begin. First question, how can I have a relationship with God? How can I actually have a friendship with God himself, the almighty, the creator, the great God? How do I step into that kind of relationship? For the past two weeks, we have been talking about God himself as a core belief to Christianity And what we have emphasized is that there is one God existing in three persons. He is a triunity. And we see him as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Three persons, yet functioning as one triune God. And what we have emphasized is that God can be known This God we speak about and this God we sing to and worship, he can be known, which is a tremendous thing, right? God, the inventor, creator, we can actually know him. That's amazing. But how can I have this relationship with God? How can I really know him? Second question, what is the implication of having a relationship with God for both today and into the future, even eternity. So how can I have a relationship with God? And then what are the implications of knowing God? These questions take us into the subject of salvation, which is great and grand and glorious, and really big. When thinking about salvation and discussing it, where do you even begin? Because it's such a vast topic. Theologians refer to this as soteriology, the study of salvation. The word soteria is a Greek word that means salvation. And so when theologians use this word, They're talking about, let's have a conversation about things that relate to having a forever friendship with God. So today, let's engage in a conversation on soteriology, on salvation, on knowing God, 
and the implications of that. Here's our big idea, and I would encourage you to take notes and fill in some blanks so that you can walk through this at some point in the middle of the week and kind of remember what we've discussed. Our big idea, the subject of salvation is core to Christianity because it helps us know how to have a relationship with God that now does this. It propels us into a life of being other-directed. So there's two kind of parts to this. The subject of salvation, certainly core to Christianity and to our belief structure because it helps us to know, how can I have this forever friendship with God? But beyond that, how does this friendship with God actually propel me then into a life of being other-directed? Our big idea now frames the rest of our talk. Let's dive into this. Here are three foundational truths to thinking about salvation. Number one, salvation begins with God. And I don't think we can underestimate this. It does not begin with humanity and even our problem and our need. When we think about soteriology, it actually begins with God himself and his goodness. And we have to keep that in mind as we think about the subject of trusting in Christ and salvation. It all begins with God. Theologian Beth Felker Jones states it this way, salvation does not begin with us, with human actions or decisions or realizations. Salvation begins with God who works in the world at large, in the church, and in the lives of individual people long before we are aware of what God is doing. We have to remember when thinking about salvation and studying this big topic and trying to wrap our minds around it as much as we can from a human perspective, that it begins with God, not humans. Number two, salvation is more than a ticket to heaven. Now, it certainly contains that, which is good news for us. But salvation is so much more than simply a ticket to heaven. If that's all it is, then life here on earth doesn't matter. Right? If salvation is just a ticket to heaven, then this doesn't matter. Loving your neighbor doesn't matter. Doing the other things that Jesus called us to do, like giving to the needy, forgiving others, acting in humble ways, and even loving our enemies, none of that matters because I have a ticket to heaven so I can live like you know what here on earth because none of that matters. And if that's the case, it really cheapens the work of Jesus on the cross and what Jesus lifted up as this clarion call to love others and to love God. That's the Jesus creed. But none of that matters. None of it matters. If salvation is only a ticket to heaven. And that's why Scott McKnight states, the entire sweep of the story of Israel and the story of Jesus and I want to pause there for a moment because when thinking about salvation, 
The story of Jesus resolves the story of Israel. He truly is the answer. So these two things come together. And that's why McKnight says this, the entire sweep of the story of Israel and the story of Jesus. That's the gospel. That's the story of what God has done for us. Ushers us into a world where God's people rely on and trust in God. There's our friendship with him. And such a trusting relationship, here's what it results in. It generates then a life of obedience, holiness, and love. So we want to think about salvation as so much more than just a ticket to heaven. It is something that propels us into a life of being other directed. It's more than a get out of jail free card. Which by the way, that's a great card in the game of Monopoly, right? It's a great card because it keeps us in the game. Salvation is better. Salvation is more than a ticket to heaven or a get out of jail free card. Number three, salvation flows from God's deep love and his pervasive love for humanity, even in our brokenness. And let's just keep that in mind. Salvation flows from God's deep love. Listen to this verse from Romans chapter 5, verse 8. If you have a Bible or a device, I would invite you to join me in this New Testament book. And I want you to see these words because they're powerful and they help us to understand these thinking points about salvation. Just listen to these words. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God showed his great love for us. God showed his great love for us. You see that word showed there? If you like to highlight and underline words in your Bible, which I would encourage you to do so that you can go back and review them, this is a word to grab. God showed his great love because in the construction of the sentence, that word showed has the idea of to commend or to establish or to prove. So we could read Romans chapter 5 this way, but God commended or God established his love for us or God proved his love for us in this way. And we'll read the rest of the verse in just a few moments, but I want to pause there and just think about what's occurring in this sentence. There's another version of the Bible that says it this way, God demonstrates his love for us. I don't know how you feel about those words, but God showed, he commended, he established, he proved, he demonstrated his love for us. I don't know how you feel about those words, but when I read this, it's something that causes me to just set my Bible down and say, are you kidding me? Like, this is what God has done? Because I know who I am and how I think and I know my brokenness and my sins and God proves his love to me. He demonstrated it. No way. Only God. Only God. Only God. These are great words for us. 
Let's step a little bit deeper now into thinking about soteriology, and I want to break it down this way. I want to talk about the problem and then the solution. And these two words really make up the heart of understanding salvation. So if you would say you're here but not a believer, you're not so sure about the way of Jesus, then I would really encourage you to listen to this description because it will give you a picture of what is core to Christianity. There is a problem that we all share, that humanity shares, but God provided a solution for that, and we'll think through that, and then the implication of this. So the problem, the solution, and then the implication. Let's start with the problem. It's something that we see throughout Scripture. The corpus of Scripture, when you walk through it from the front page to the very ending sentence, you find this problem over and over and over again. And it is something that we experience personally as well. And that is we are not born into a relationship with God. It doesn't just happen. It's not automatic. Even though God loves us and we are made in his image, we're not born into this relationship. And the reason we're not born into a forever friendship with God is because we are all sinners. And this is what we share in common, and that's a problem. Scripture simply states it this way. If you turn back a page to chapter 3, here's what we read in verse 23 of the book of Romans. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short. And I want you to hang on to those two words, fall short, because it means something much more than what we initially read here. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Everyone has sinned. And all of us, we all fall short of this glorious standard that God has. I don't think we like hearing that because it doesn't feel great. But it's true. It's true. Paul Witz, a professor of psychology at New York University, wrote a book called Psychology as Religion. And in this book, he tries to tackle the cult of self-worship, or what he calls the problem of self-worship. And he states this regarding humanity and our falling short. Just listen to these words. In recent years... A few psychologists have been arguing for the complete goodness of the natural self. Probably historical and social events have been a major cause of this shift. For example, the Holocaust raised profound questions about the human capacity for evil. The world's terrible ethnic, racial, and religious conflicts in the Middle East, India, Eastern Europe, and Ireland, for example and persistent, painful racial conflicts within the United States as well have made the early psychologists' optimistic assumptions seem naive, even silly. Now, here's what's really fascinating about what I read. The second edition of Witz's book, which is what I cited, was published in 1994, 
or 28 years ago. And while much has changed, not much has actually changed in thinking about and describing the human condition and how we sin and how we all fall short. Not much has changed. The phrase falls short found in Romans chapter 3 verse 23 is used 16 times throughout the New Testament and it has the idea of to lack or to be destitute. To fall short means to lack or to be destitute. I think we often look at this and say, yeah, I get that. I know I fall short of God's glorious standard. I am a sinner, I know that, but I'm not as bad as that guy. And I'm not pointing to anybody in particular over here, but you know, I'm not as bad as him. He roots for the Dallas Cowboys after all, right? We tend to compare, which isn't really fair because when you dig into this word, fall short, it carries the idea that we are totally devoid of it. It being the glory of God. So while I may think or assume I'm a little better off than the person sitting next to me or in front of me or behind me, or I don't do the things they do or even say the things they say. I'm a little bit better off. Scripture makes it pretty clear. We are all completely devoid of it. The glory of God. We don't have it at all. And that's a problem. That's a problem. And this moves us into the solution. And there is only one solution. And our good God provided it for us. I want you to go back to Romans chapter 5, verse 8. Let's read all of that verse now. Here's what it says. But God demonstrates, he shows, he proves his own love for us in this. And here it comes. While we were still sinners, while we were completely devoid of it, Christ died for us. When we were broken and empty and had really nothing to offer of goodness to our glorious God, the creator, the inventor, well, Christ died for us. God says your sin is real and the penalty is death. But Jesus, right? But Jesus, Jesus, he is the solution. His life, his death, and his resurrection. This is what we see back in Romans chapter 3, verse 24. Follow along. It says, yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. I would encourage you to grab that phrase as well and remember it or highlight it in your copy of the Bible. God's grace, his giving to us what we don't deserve. This is what makes us right in his sight. And the wording here indicates that we are declared righteous by God when we believe in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, we are declared right before him. There's a theological word for this. 
It is the word justification. So when we trust in Jesus alone to rescue us, we are justified, which is a legal pronouncement by God. So just think about this for a moment because it's kind of crazy to me. If you have ever trusted in Jesus alone, there are some things that happen behind the scenes without you even knowing it or feeling it. Okay, you were justified by God. You were declared right by him, a legal pronouncement. To be justified means to be set right. Incredible. It refers to both the acquittal of all charges. Dropped. Gone. And keep in mind, we were devoid of it. There's a lot of charges. But when we trusted in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, we are justified. We are declared right by God, and we are acquitted of all charges. And we now have a right standing before him. If you have ever trusted in Jesus alone, this is what happened to you. And scripture tells us it was instantaneous doesn't take a process. It's instantaneous that we are acquitted of all charges and have this right standing before God. And we were declared right by God himself. I love this thought. God didn't send some lower ranking minion or angel to say, okay, you, you're right. No, God himself, right? The almighty it's such good news for us. He's the one who declared us right, and it happened by faith alone. Incredible, right? Incredible. Justification. This declaring right, I believe it is the most profound moment in the life of every believer. Now, how does this happen? Or back to our first question. How can I or how do I have a forever friendship with God? How can I be justified? Maybe you're wondering that. <laughs> that sounds kind of good. How can I be justified? Well, let's keep reading. Verse 25. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. For my sin. For your sin. God presented Jesus on our behalf. And get this, people are made right with God when they, say the word with me, believe. When they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. That word believe here is so powerful. It means to trust or to have faith. So people are made right with God. Here's how I enter into a friendship with him. When people believe, when they trust, or when they have faith, this is the trigger for being right with God. It's belief, it's faith, it's trust in Jesus who shed his blood for us. By faith, we receive this. By faith, by faith. I think sometimes faith gets a bad rap, doesn't it? Like that's for people who believe in Jesus, who have a weak mind or they need a crutch to help them mentally get through life. A little bit of faith, trust, and pixie dust, right? That's walking with Christ. That's what it is. 
It's interesting though, because that's not what we see in scripture. Faith involves knowledge. It's not a blind leaf off a cliff somewhere. It actually involves intellectual assent. Scholar Dallas Willard posits that an act of faith in the biblical tradition is always undertaken in an environment of knowledge and is inseparable from it. Meaning, knowledge of what God has done is essential and involves intellectual content. It is not a blind leap, which brings up the question, what do Christians actually believe then about having a friendship with God? What is the intellectual content? It's Jesus. And it's him alone. And his life death, and resurrection. Jesus arose, and back to verse 25, God presented him as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe or trust or have faith that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. That's the solution. So a big problem in terms of humanity, we're devoid of it. The glory of God. We all have that in common. But there is a solution, and our good God provided that in the person of Jesus. And the intellectual content is found in his life, his death, and his resurrection. And believing in that, this is how we enter into a forever friendship with God. It's beautiful. It really is. Let's get into the implication of this. Here it is. Upon trusting in Jesus... We now have a lasting relationship with God that propels us into a life of living out the story of Jesus. What does that mean? Well, it means that salvation is so much more and is so much better than just a ticket to heaven. It certainly contains that, but there is more. We have work to do here on earth in being other-directed. Do you remember the Lord's Prayer when Jesus gathered a group of followers and said, let me teach you how to pray. Here's a model. Here's a pattern for doing that. And then he rolled out the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on, on earth as it is in heaven. But on earth, on earth, salvation is more than just a ticket to heaven. It is something that propels us into a life of living out the story of Jesus and making a difference in the here and now on earth, on earth. So what we do now does matter. And it matters in a significant way. And this is how our salvation should play out, where we live, work, and play. Every act of love for another in Jesus' name. When we love our enemies in Jesus' name. Every act of justice and mercy in Jesus' name makes a huge difference in the here 
and now on earth. And for those who have trusted in the salvific work of Christ, we are called to make a difference now. So salvation is so much more than just getting there. Contains that, and that's wonderful. But we all have work to do here on earth as it is in heaven, and this is our call. And I want to be careful to communicate that these acts aren't what save us. It's our trust in Jesus alone that saves us. And then it's this relationship that generates us to a life of love, a life that is other-directed. Okay, I have two takeaways. Number one, if you have never trusted in Jesus, you can and you should. God has offered a solution to you that is incredible and demands our attention and our response. We either say yes to this or we push it away. I would encourage you, if you've never trusted, do that today. You can and you should. And then number two, if you have trusted in Jesus alone, live as a sent person. Okay, don't just wait for heaven. That'll be great and wonderful and we can't even describe how glorious that is. Don't just wait for that. Engage on earth now and live as a sent person. Live other-directed. Back to the big idea. The subject of salvation, soteriology, is core to Christianity because it helps us know how to have a relationship with God that propels us into a life of being other-directed. May God give us the courage to trust in him alone and to take that step of faith based on intellectual content if we've never done that before. And if we have, may God give us the courage to live as sent ones here on earth now. Will you pray with me? Father, we're so thankful for these moments to just read through some incredible verses in Romans chapter 5 and chapter 3 that describe for us how indescribable you are. So we walk through this and say, only God, only God could enact a plan that reaches out to rescue people who couldn't rescue themselves. So we have a problem, but you provided a solution and we thank you. We praise you. And we seek to honor you with our lives. I'd like for you just to keep your head bowed and your eyes closed. And for you to take advantage of this moment here. Maybe you've never trusted in Jesus alone. And you've wondered about salvation. Maybe you've been confused by it. What does it mean? How do you achieve that? 
And maybe today it's making sense. Like here's the problem, here's the solution, and here's what that means for us. And there are things happening on the inside of you that are awakening you to what God wants, and that is a friendship with you, with you. If that's how you feel, I would just encourage you, just cry out to God right now in the quietness of this moment, from your heart to his ears. Just talk to him in unscripted ways with whatever words come to mind and just tell him right now, you you are trusting in Jesus because you understand he came, he lived, he died for you and rose again, all of that for you. So just tell God that you're trusting in that. Thank him for being your leader, your forgiver. Acknowledge your brokenness, your sinfulness, your falling short. And thank him for Jesus. Claim him as your own. with your head bowed and eyes closed, if that's something that you've offered up to our great God, I want to say congratulations to you. You have been justified without you even knowing that or understanding it. It's a hard thing to get. But you have been declared right in this moment by God himself. He has acquitted you of all charges. And you have a right standing before him Amazing. Congratulations to you. Now, maybe you're here and you'd say, I've done that, but you've lost track a little bit of living the kind of life that is other-directed. And that happens. Life consumes us. We get really busy with work and family and tasks and disappointments and successes as well. And we kind of forget about how God wants us to be involved in work here on earth as it is in heaven. And part of our salvation is living the story of Jesus everywhere we go. So just commit to saying, okay, God, I'm back at it. I'll start today and into this new week. And I'll do what you've called me to do in terms of living in humble ways and loving others. Loving God and loving my neighbor and loving my enemy too. It's a hard thing to do, but just offer that up. Ask God to help you. Father, we are really grateful for a day just to think about something core to Christianity and something that defines you and that is salvation. May it be more than a word. May it be more than a theological concept. May it be something that changes each and every one of us. God, for those who have trusted for the very first time, I pray that you'd encourage them. Help them to share that with somebody 
so they can encourage them as well and challenge them. And God, for others who are just thinking about how they have work to do here on earth and they're saved for that, give them boldness to step into whatever challenges are presented as they exit these doors in a moment and start a new work week tomorrow. Just help us. Help us to be the kind of faith community that loves you and loves others and lives out this Jesus creed. Help us to live an other-directed kind of life. God, may that be true of Valley Point Church. We pray all of this now. In the name of Jesus, the one who came to rescue us and pay for our sins, the one who rose again, who turns graves into gardens, our faithful God, we praise him and all God's people said, amen, amen. Again, I want to thank you so much for being here today. I hope this has been a meaningful experience for you. I want to let you know that when I dismiss in just a moment, I would encourage you to sign our Life First displays. They are on the back walls. They are the two trees. If you have not done that yet, please put your name there and your verse. We want to populate these displays so that our church can get a sense of how God is using Scripture in our hearts and in our lives. I also want to say thank you for your generosity. God is using what you give here at Valley Point Church to point people to real relationships and real significance. I just received a letter this past week from one of our Christmas initiative partners in Chester who just profusely thanked you and our church for your generosity, which is enabling them to do some things that they couldn't do before God worked in and through us. And so I pass that on as a way to say thank you for giving. That is going out into the communities around us and it is making a difference. I also want to give you an update on our missionary buddy Thigpen. I think most of you are aware of his work in Russia. And I'll give a very condensed, maybe safe for broadcast type message. And just ask that you pray for him. He is in the thick of all the activity. So as a church who loves him and supports him, let's be lifting up Buddy Thigpen and the work that God has called him to do. And our generosity, that's making a significant difference in a devastated part of the world right now. Okay? Next week, I want to invite you back. Here's why. We're going to talk about the core Christian belief of bibliology. Yay! Bibliology. We're going to have so much fun. I think you can picture that the theological concept of bibliology is all about the Bible, God's word breathed out for us. Here at Valley Point, we value the word of God. And that's why we spend time in it each and every Sunday. We're going to unpack some things that I think will be helpful to you in giving you a love for what God has given to us. And also a way just to open our hearts to being shaped by this. Because there are some really hard things here that don't make sense and may be very countercultural to what's happening in our world. And we have to be open to being shaped 
by the word of God, the unchanging word of God. So we're going to think through that next week, and we're going to serve communion as well. We're going to have a great time, so please be here. Will you stand for our benediction? Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. Amen and amen. Grace and peace to you. You are loved. We'll see you next Sunday. God bless.